Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to The World in 10, the big news stories of the day explained and analysed by The Times of London. Today with me, Lou Newton and James Hansen. On today's episode, we start with a warning for the West. The West should be preparing for all-out war with Russia in the next 20 years. That's the warning from a top NATO commander. I'm not saying it is going wrong tomorrow, but we have to realise it's not a given that we are in peace. And that's why we have the plans. That's why we are preparing for a conflict with Russia and the terror groups. If it comes to it, if they attack us, we're not seeking any conflict. That was Admiral Rob Bauer. He's a Dutch naval officer and chairman of NATO's military committee. He made the statement after a meeting of NATO's defence chiefs in Brussels. And though he says war is likely in the next 20 years, the Times' Oliver Moody says he's been told it's likely to be much, much sooner. That 20-year timeline is at the very conservative end of the estimates that are out there. The Estonian Prime Minister told me in a, a Times interview this week that... Her country's intelligence services believe the time window we're talking about would be three to five years. The Polish president's office has said they think it's three years. The German defense minister has said today he thinks it's five to eight years. And those haven't just been drawn out of thin air. They are drawn from the rate at which Russia can now mobilize and train new recruits to its armed forces. And above all, they are based on the extraordinary amount of its GDP that Russia is spending on its military and the sheer rate at which Russia's armaments factories are now operating. Oliver also told The World in 10 that it won't just be a war on the ground, but that Russia is likely to use missiles to hit deeper into the West. And countries in Eastern Europe think their allies need to take concerns over Putin attacking NATO very seriously. In the view of governments that are close to Russia's borders, the sense of urgency has really not made itself felt in Western Europe or North America. The other thing that I think is not widely realised is the likelihood is that the war would not be confined to the eastern flank, but it would use its missile assets, which have a range of hundreds of kilometres to try and make deep strikes on primarily Germany, which is going to be NATO's logistics hub in Europe. So we are talking about 
German power plants, railways, roads, and other pieces of civilian infrastructure becoming targets in a Russian campaign to try and cow NATO into backing down and recognizing its territorial gains. That is something I am hearing fairly regularly from military experts and from NATO commanders. NATO's Admiral Bauer, who we briefly heard from earlier, stressed that mobilising reservists and calling up people for military duty should be something we're prepared for. Jamie Shea is a former NATO Deputy Assistant Secretary General, and he says that the alliance has been aware of the very real risk of a Russian war for some time, but that the big challenge is preparing civilians. The early warning shot that things were going to change in Europe came as far back as 2014 when uh, Putin annexed uh, Crimea, sent his troops into Ukraine. It was at that time that NATO uh, really went back to collective defence. Uh, later on, it withdrew, of course, from Afghanistan and started to build up its forces in Central and Eastern Europe. But I think what the Rob Bauer, uh, the chairman of NATO's military committee, is stressing is that a lot really still remains to be done. And he's put the emphasis on three areas, obviously getting the troops in a situation where they are not just able to resist, but able to win. So Secondly, ramping up the defence industrial base. And thirdly, clearly getting civil society in the mindset that it's able to protect itself. So this is uh, not just an effort of the military forces, but of society more generally. Whatever global conflicts are being fought in 20 years' time, one thing's for certain, the way they're being fought will be very, very different. And The Times has an exclusive story today about a new high-powered laser weapon that's been tested by military scientists at a top-secret laboratory in Britain. It's called Dragonfire and it can destroy incoming drones from several miles away, something that could prove very useful given the rise in drone warfare over recent years. But the big appeal of this new laser weapon is how cheap it is. Whereas a British Sea Viper missile currently costs around £1 million each, the cost of operating the laser is typically less than £10 per shot. Let's find out more with Larissa Brown, Defence Editor for The Times. The way it works is it's basically an intense beam of light that's used to burn a hole in a target. One expert told me it was like welding metal at range. And then the idea is that either disables the target completely or just could potentially steer a drone off course and and then it's no longer uh, working. And Larissa, how significant could this laser be, especially in terms of the cost? In terms of the cost, I think it could have a huge impact. So, for example, one expert was telling me that the cost of operating the laser is typically less than £10 per shot. So, obviously, if you're comparing that to the £1 million missile, and that's quite extraordinary. The, the laser could be used primarily sort of for defensive purposes, but also it could be used to strike targets, for example, like we saw in Yemen a few days ago. And so, you know, it all sounds very like sci-fi and very futuristic, but I think the fact that the UK military really believes that this laser could be up on a destroyer or a frigate within five years, I think really changes things. And, you know, they really think it's a viable prospect. Larissa, thank you. That's The Times' defence editor, Larissa Brown.
Now, it's an age-old question. Could humans survive on Mars? Well, it could be more likely than previously thought because scientists have discovered what's believed to be a massive underground reservoir of ancient water ice buried beneath the planet's equator. And Jackie Goddard has been writing about it for The Times. Hi, Jackie. Hi, Lou. So tell us more about what's been discovered. Yes, well, lots of water, basically. So back in 2007, the Mars Express, which is an orbiting spacecraft run by the European Space Agency, detected lots of underground deposits around the equator of Mars at a particular place called the Medusae Fossae Formation. And it hasn't been known to this point what those deposits were. It was suspected water, or it was suspected it may just be deposits of vast volcanic dust from billions of years ago. And the Mars Express has now relayed new data that's been studied and which shows that this is massive underground deposits of water, the largest amount yet found at the equator of Mars. So it's a very significant find with lots of future implications. And does this make humans living on Mars one day more likely? It doesn't make it more likely, it just makes it more supported. So there is a campaign by NASA at the moment to incrementally move to exploration of Mars. Robotic already is is going on, robotic exploration. And it has this program, the Artemis campaign, which ultimately is to land humans on the moon to be testing the technology and techniques and, and ways of living and working off Earth in order to then move on to Mars. We're looking at 2030s, 2040s for for humans at Mars at least. Thanks, Jackie. That's The Times journalist Jackie Goddard. Should any sport change its rules to attract new fans? The World Snooker Tour has announced its first ever TV event in Saudi Arabia and for the first time ever, there'll be an extra golden ball on the table and it'll be worth 20 points. It's really interesting this because, I mean, what if Paul did the same? Would it make it more interesting? Or do too many changes risk ruining a sport? Games will follow the current snooker rules, but the golden ball will be possible if a player completes a maximum 147 break. But it's not yet clear if the ball will be on the table throughout the game or whether there'll be any penalty for hitting it too early. Don't forget, you can read more on any of the stories we've been discussing at thetimes.co.uk, where you can also read about Kanye West's new teeth. The controversial rapper has had new titanium teeth implants installed, making him look a bit like Jaws, you know, the villain in the James Bond movies. And Lou, guess how much they've cost him? Well, first of all, I think they're probably quite on trend, though they're not quite my taste. I don't know, I reckon about... £20,000. Oh, you're way off. $850,000, can you believe? (laughs) Well, I have learned something new, but that's all we have time for today. Thanks for taking 10 minutes to stay on top of the world with the help of the Times of London. See you tomorrow.